This episode is sponsored by Bilio. The team at Bilio has been working day and night to perfect and deliver a new line of Bilio masks. Each Bilio mask is made in the USA, washable and reusable, knit to shape with zero waste, and designed with a proprietary recycled polyester and ecstatic silver yarn blend that requires no post-processing. Bilio is proud to see design taking the lead on solving the main issue of keeping medical supplies available for those that need it most. They are taking orders from their website, biliomask.com. That's B-I-L-I-O mask.com. On this episode, we have Ryan Patel. Ryan began his career with publicly traded restaurant chains, quickly working his way up to interacting with C-suite executives. He was also responsible for the large global expansion of Pinkberry. He now serves as a business commentator, making multiple appearances on CNN, Fox News, CNBC, and numerous foreign outlets. Ryan also serves on the board of several companies, including the Peter Drucker School of Management. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on our show. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, including me. Certainly. Now, um, there's so many aspects of your background that I'm fascinated with because you've really seen it and done it all. You've been with big corporations and understand um, board advising at that level, but you've also been very much an entrepreneur and expanding businesses. So really looking forward to getting into all this. I'd love to start at the very beginning. Um, Where did you grow up? Well, you know, it's funny. Actually, nope, not very people ask me that. But, you know, it's a, I'm actually bro, uh, first generation in Los Angeles. You know, I'm actually a local oh. California kid. And um, although it's kind of funny because I've, you know, traveled and lived even at, at times, even in parts of India, where I always use the story that my math when I was younger, when my mom used to take me over there, my math got so much better when I got brought over here. And I always told them, like, how can you take me from here to over there? I do, I, I, like I said, love Los Angeles and be a part of it, but I also feel like there's such a global aspect to where we all come from at some point. And yeah. to then talk about my mom ensuring the Indian culture, and that's why she always brought us back really often when we were younger. But you decided to go up north for college. Share, share with us about that decision. Well, it's funny. It's, it's, it's tied to kind of, you know, I've always, wa- you know, Berkeley was always my number one school, and I actually originally heard it when I was in India, when I was younger wow. people, because people, such a international known school. And I knew uh, when I first got there, I mean, I still am. I'm so in awe of, of, of the history there. Like I'm like, maybe that's a bad thing when I was there for that, that entire time. I was just looking at the history. Like I even brought both my, you know, my kids back up even after I graduated just to kind of show how proud I was and just on campus um, and, and to be able to be be back with them there. And I just feel like the international and the variety of different topics that the school allowed me to take and do was really, really part of probably some of the success. Mind you, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew that I just, you know, you always told to take classes that you like, right? So I took so many different business classes, so many different political science classes. I took Southeast Asian writers you mentioned uh, South Asian writers. Are there some that you're particularly fond of? The reason why I took that class was I wanted to understand the 1940s, actually. And there was a lot of writings about the partition, a lot of writings about philosophy. It's one thing to read a history book. It's another thing to hear people's uh, manuscripts like the Hin Siraj and, and, and other things from during that time. So that exposed me to writings that I don't think I would have come across. 
Yeah, well, that's so fascinating. That time period, as you say, was such a charged era. And uh, even uh, Salman Rushdie's book, Midnight's Children, which is considered the the booker of all booker uh, prize winners, um, it it highlights, it focuses on that time period. Yeah, that was on our reading list. I, I am curious, um, Ryan as a first name, is that a nickname or is that the name your parents gave you because it's very Western? Yeah, it, it's, it, I, you know, it's, it was, you know, I think in Indian culture, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but usually the, the aunt is the one who name, usually names you yeah, uh, to good. a certain degree. And so yeah. my aunt was the one who named me. Um, it obviously means little, little, little Irish king. And obviously a lot of, we have a lot of UK ties in our in our um, or the European um, side, so yeah, I think I definitely stood out. Which you know, um, obviously, I embrace the name now. <laughs> you know, but but I also embrace that um, that it's also spelled different. Like in India, they actually spell it differently. You know, they spell R A Y A N um, whenever uh, I'm around, and I used to always correct it. I don't anymore because I appreciate it. Yeah, well, and uh, the Westerners don't butcher it like they do a seam. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's you're on. Did you a favor? Yeah, <laughs> that's well, a great I, way of looking at it. Yeah, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, Gujarati families uh, from this era that we're talking about. We're, we're you know we're about the same age. I think you're younger than me by just a few years. Um, there's a there's an Africa thread to their family's uh, evolution, they're, they're like Uganda, Tanzania, and then uh, up to London. Is that a part of your family's narrative? Kenya, definitely Kenya. My ah, grand okay. my my grandfather was a um, a race car. Uh, I think it's a race car driver in the in the Kenya circuits. I believe uh, I don't know. Wow. I forget the exactly name to it. And then his whole family um, then moved up to the UK uh, from there. So we it, it's. It's interesting because I think um, that tie, I, you, I, you know, not to say Indians are everywhere around the world, kind of, you know, kind of are. <laughs> Anywhere you go, I feel like there's always a place, but definitely Africa has got strong ties yeah. to um, to upbringing. And, and almost every, almost everyone I come across who either grown up there, at, who are Indians that grew up in Africa, I've never heard, it. again, maybe I'm biased, I've never heard a bad experience. It's always been uh, something that they really, really enjoy. It's home, and uh, and and that's such a. I wish more of that storytelling gets out because yeah. I think people people look at different um, continents and and think it's just you know one specific ethnicity, and it's right. really you know we are kind of we've always been intertwined right. um, in different cultures, and we just sometimes uh, um, the narrative doesn't get out there to say you know everyone has been treating everyone equal in some part portions and we need more of it there's still people who um, still ask well patel is um oh do you know this patel that patel? And i i get it and i i understand but they sometimes they don't know is as common as smith yeah yeah no it, it's incredible and you're right the bond that was formed by indians living in africa was so profound and like when the uh, Idi Amin regime um, kicked Indians out of Uganda, the, the dislocation and the pain that was felt was so, so profound. And there was a film about it, Mississippi Masala. And, um, and also uh, there's a fair number of Indian um, migrants to uh, South Africa and Durban. And um, if you look at the apartheid, uh, anti-apartheid movement of Mandela, a number of his lieutenants were Indian. Yeah, I mean, and if you've seen the last year, year and a half, what India has done with the BRICS summit, 
um, at least, you know, they've invested as a country has invested in, in countries and, 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 um, I think Kenya specifically is one of them that was in the last deal in the summit of training and providing more, more ties that are closer. I think we're going to see more of that. Um, just because from my, I mean, not just from a people perspective, but just, it just makes a lot of sense with there's a lot of, just a lot of ties into the culture there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that India is uh, watching all the investment that China is doing in Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. You know, China has been one of the biggest players in Africa, even South Africa, infrastructure spending. And um, I think those two countries are going to be, um, it, 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 it's just the beginning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, coming back to your post-Berkeley days, um, you had a number of experiences in, in retail uh, businesses, especially in the food and beverage side, uh, Jamba Juice, BJ's, Panda Express, um, and then, of course, uh, Pinkberry, where you were the VP of Global Development. Um, share with us what those experiences were like, and then specifically on the Pinkberry side, I'd love to talk about your expansion into other geographies there. I was getting recruited, and I think a lot of that was when I got, you know, the job responsibilities that were I was given, I was always keep given more. And when you're younger, when you do that, you just do as much as you can. You just keep doing more, and you're hungry for it. Uh, that doesn't mean you get paid more. That just right. means you get more responsibility. And I think I was fortunate that people were realizing that. And, you know, when you get recruited or when you find uh, people who ask you, you know, wow, you know all these things. Like, you can run this. And I think that's what happened. Everywhere I went, wow. every job I went, the responsibilities kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, and I, already start, I was already starting to report to CEOs. And BJ's was restaurants is a good example where, you know, it was, I was, it was all the C's and me. You know, presenting presenting the deals and expansion plans and uh, a part of marketing um, delivery models and just, you know, breaking from a hub spoke model and expanding throughout the U.S. I think to me that was invaluable, putting performance together and, and, and they've got a great team that's still there, actually. Two, um, um, the, the C, now the president and the CDO are both people who I worked with real closely when I was there and they were both really empowering of me doing a lot of things there. And we get to Pinkberry, you know, that was the smallest company that I've ever worked for pretty much a startup in my eyes, you know, from a publicly traded to startups. And, you know, it, it was very interesting when it was like, okay, we've got, we've got some momentum, but we really need to kind of go a different route. Like we've got to be able to be more nimbler. We got to be able to be more, um, adaptive. I've all, I really wanted the opportunity to do the global piece. And I think that was where our valuation and, and what, you know, whatnot is, was really valuable uh, internationally. And, you know, you, you talk about markets that we, we built in, you know, in the MENA region, we played, built almost over 70 stores and each country yeah. in the MENA region was, a, was a different strategy almost. And, you know, when you partner with great partners there, you, you kind of want to continue to add value. Even in Peru, Lima, we had over 20 stores. Um, that was our wow. entry mark. And, 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 you know, the, the, you had to have the Lucuma flavor, you know, profile to be able to open it up. And, you know, that one success in one market can open up so many different markets. And, and that's what happened in Latin America with Panama and Chile and, you know, Dominican and just more, more conversations. And obviously in Asia, um, you know, with Japan, I think we, we even opened in India, but Japan was a great example of opening up then Thailand and, you know, just being able to visit and see, not just from uh, a business perspective, but really we, because our brand was such a 
local like people felt like you know we were trying to create what starbucks did like that's my coffee right you kind of want to say that's my yogurt store that's my place i go to and i think that's what you should do with any brand and so fortunately i've been around brands like that that's i've I've always believed that you've got to be able to be socially responsible and make an impact in the community and you build that you build it that way it's not always about spending dollars it's about really people seeing the actual hard work that you are in the community. And I think that's what we saw. I mean, that was what I took away from around the world was, you know, just that even though it was an experience, people had different tastes and, and, and the local, like everybody knows, like in Tokyo, like everybody knows Sinjuku and, and Ginza and all the big areas, but really where do the locals hang out and really understanding mm-hmm. that everywhere I went, that provided me with an experience that I don't think you can pay for. Right. You, you really get to understand a market that you're not familiar with. Um, Like if you lived in Los Angeles and everyone's going to show you the Hollywood sign in Santa Monica, but if you go and spend some time in like Silver Lake and you go down to uh, Glendale and and there's different cities that are not always on the on people's radar, you kind of realize, well, that's really different. That's, that was unique behind it. But you talked about adapting to the local market in terms of flavor so that you're appealing to um, that, that, culturally the appetite that's there um but as we often know there are mishaps that happen when you are trying to uh address a new geography do you, do you have any good anecdotes about that the example that to me that i always point to was mcdonald's going to india initially right. in the, like, a few decades ago and they didn't have a menu that was let's just say vegetarian friendly <laughs> right and everybody everyone now let me all laugh about it because everyone's like, well, why did they not think that through and then you look at other brands that have done that. Um, and even with like retailers going to Latin America, you know, they had American sports. Like it just didn't make any sense when you're selling American goods when you're in different places. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why Target failed in Canada too. It wasn't really tailored toward the Canadian um, palette. They were just kept it, kept it the same. I think because we live in a digital world now, I think people assume that, oh, they can find it. But I think you still got to keep it very simple um, and really address the local language, the local taste, and not be fake about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one of my favorite um, cultural gaffes is uh, GM when they launched the Chevy Nova in Latin America. And of course, Nova in Spanish means doesn't go. <laughs> yeah. Not a good name for a car. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, when you uh, went into the MENA region with Pinkberry, um, was that like um, uh, Lebanon, uh, Dubai, Egypt, Morocco? Yeah, we went We went to uh, Kuwait, Oman, you know, KSA, even Saudi was really, really a great market. Um, at the time I was there, it was blowing up and, and all the new development, Dubai, UAE, all of UAE, you know, UAE. Um, Turkey was another one that we were really successful oh. with kiosks um, and footfall. We were in the Egypt um, market too, doing well, and then the political unrest happened. Sure. So there, there's you know, you know, there's just things that sometimes are unfortunate because things are going well, and all of a sudden, you know, the market kind of has to shut down because of the instability of it. Um, yeah, but there, it, it is, in each of those markets, and those who are listening to this, they're all different. They're so yeah. very different. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think the biggest, you know, everybody assumes, you all, everyone always assumes, well, you got to go and open up in the biggest mall or biggest place. And yes, if you had all the money in the world, that would be 
ideal and 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 but you know like in dubai we didn't they, we didn't open in the dubai mall until much later mm. so they found the right space and but we were in the mall of emirates and that has mall of emirates has like 34 million people traveling through a year and, and people don't really realize yeah see and people don't really realize that wow that's a lot of people that's more than yeah. the u.s perspectives even dubai mall is like 40 million yeah. i mean both of them alone got all you know compared to disneyland's almost the same. yeah so. wow that's so true amazing well it is kind of the disneyland of that part of the world uh, <laughs> i remember <laughs> being in dubai like i got to make the obligatory stop at the mall you um, you, you it, it's 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 a must see uh, out of curiosity in that region what were the local flavor choices it was passion fruit Passion mm -hmm. fruit. We had to have passion fruit. The UK had a very similar, you know, I think there's a lot of strong ties to the MENA region too. There, yeah. There's a lot of strong following. We opened in the UK at Stratford um, mm. as well with near the Olympics. No, that's great. Now, Ryan, did you get your MBA prior to your Pinkberry experience? Yeah, I was, I was getting that my executive MBA while I was working. So I didn't wow. stop. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm really curious, Ryan, did you do, did you run for student government or do debate in high school or college? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, not at all. You <laughs> not even this close. Amazing ease in front of the camera. And uh, I just, I, I, I was just wondering if it was, uh, if it came from that time period, because now you've become a very successful business commentator on CNN, CNBC, and Fox News, and it goes on. The list is uh, quite lengthy and global. Um, and, and, you know, you have this platform where you do a lot of public speaking. And so share with us, you know, I know that Pinkberry got sold. That's why you left. Um, but uh, the steps leading from that exit to becoming a public speaker and then leading to the, being this leading business commentator, what, what all transpired? Well, I like to say it was all planned, but it absolutely not because everybody always says that's such a great thing. And I think when I left Pinkberry, you know, my background's in scaling and helping and helping companies. And I, and, and I really realized that people were seeing me finally as like, well, he knows a lot more tech and, and he's, I've always had the ability, I've done all those things, but you know, sometimes when you don't get credit for it or, or in your past history, um, people were starting to realize, whoa, you actually know FinTech, you know, um, the insurance market. And again, I think the consumer background of mine kind of helps me with that perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have to give kudos to my wife, um, as always, as always, because she really was a forward thinker going, well, you're going to what? You're going to go do this for another company and then mm -hmm. what's going to happen, mm -hmm. right? And right. you're just going to help them grow and, and then we're going to have this cycle except for the fact that you um, always wanted to sit on boards and you've always wanted to make an impact and here are some opportunities that are at your door that you can do it. And I'm like, well, this is like going to be super hard because you talk about sitting on boards, you know, average age is 62 and only 10% minorities and only 10% uh, women are also on the board. So that the chances of any of that all happening, but you, you gotta, you've, you've got to at least try. And we, you know, uh, I think I've mentioned to you, you know, we speak around 15, we don't do too many, keynotes like we don't do like 100 keynotes a year even though i think my agent wants us to do but like for me it's around like 15 to 20 and meaningful things people were starting to see that and go wow and they were starting to invite me they were starting to you know 
really bring me on as advisory boards, even though the boards of directors may be full. But and, and I think people were seeing that, wow, you're doing a lot of different things in a lot of different places. And it kind of just rolled itself. And the news you know, extension was obviously I was already doing some of that with the conferences when they knew when they're interviewing me. But, you know, to be a reoccurring is a different kind of conversation because I don't think in my wildest dreams that I would have said that I was going to be on TV. I can tell you that I didn't embrace it initially uh, because I, uh, I don't know. I, I, again, I don't have anything to sell, right? I'm not selling consulting services or anything to that. Yeah. And so that gives a different perspective. One, two, my background, it was so different. Like I'm not just, um, I, I kind of feel like it's agnostic, but like when you see folks on TV, they're usually like super expert in finance and you just talk about stocks and that's it. And, and, and with me, I can talk about that and multiple things. Right. And I don't, I wasn't really sure how the media was going to look at me. Um, obviously now, as you mentioned, they build kind of segments around me. So I think the producers and they're embracing me. Um, that's, that's great. Like I said, all of this had come reach out to me. I mean, I didn't hire a producer. I mean, people ask like, how do I get on TV? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I know what other people, I know what other people hire PR folks to do it. We don't, like, we don't really have, I never did that. And so I was fortunate. Well, uh, Ryan, I really think it's your goatee. <laughs> you know, it gives a very uh, <laughs> professorial authority. I don't know. I thought you were going to say the opposite because everyone else is really clean looking and they don't look like me. Well, uh, all joking aside, I think it's your fluency in a number of business topics that makes you the, uh, the kind of the darling of the, the business segment and, and their desire to have you there. Because like you said, there are people who are pundits in like one very specific area, like the finance guy can only talk about stocks, but, but you've been on talking about a whole wide range of topics and um, you've become their, their go-to guy for that. And I think it's brilliant. Kudos and, and well done. Well, well, thank you. Um, who are some of your favorite anchors to work with? Oh, I, John Voss is one of my favorite, you know, um, hands down, you yes. know, Aisha, Aisha, when she was there at CNN, you know, Rosemary Church, um, even, you know, it, it, even um, Cyril and Issa also out of, out of the UK. Um, but I do, I, I like Stuart Varney too. I know Stuart is, uh, he's got his own opinions, but with me, those segments are always great because it's about providing what is different and he's always been so respectful and he's i think been a been regardless of what you think about everyone's politics including cnn and fox but my segments with those anchors are always they're not just reading questions like let me just be clear like the the ones i've mentioned they're true journalists they you know they'll hear me say something and they will go that route you know i remember the thomas cook um you know, headline in the UK when they shut down, right? Mm -hmm. And I was on breaking news. I think I was with Rose. I think I was with Rosemary on at the time, and she asked. You know, everybody else at that time was like, you know, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. How how ridiculous is this that the largest you know eight travel agency in the world it, it shut down? And she, you know, we had the first question. I can't remember what it was, but I was just breaking down with why they shut down. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. half their they still had half the half their fleet of, of was on storefronts were still open on high streets and none of them were making money in the P&L. Uh, and then the second question she went and, and I answered it a little bit in small business. She goes, Ryan, can you, what would be your message to the, the next entrepreneur, small businesses on, on that perspective? And you know, we're on new, the newsroom. Like that's not right. a, that, that's, that's such a great pickup by her. 
right? Yeah. It's such a great way to change, to take the segment into a way that uh, people can learn from it, not yeah. just scare people. Nice. Oh, that's great. Um, what were some other memorable segments for you? I do have some fun ones. So that's why, like, I, I, you, you think that you do everyone this memorable, but, you know, that's, I'd be lying if that was the case. I'd, um, <laughs> but I think the fun ones, like the ones that I was on um, during the hurricane coverages, on uh, uh-huh. Har- Hurricane Harvey and Irma I was on during the uh-huh. economic price gouging. And let's just say I was a little fired up. Um, and, and, and part of it too, John was the one interviewing me for the Harvey one. He, 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 he got me with some video where, um, a a hotel brand was price gouging. Mm -hmm. Um, and the hotel brand said, well, that was just a franchisee's fault. It's not our fault. And I almost lost it because I came from franchising. I was like, well, that's the franchisor's fault. Like, don't tell me that you didn't see that coming. And if you did, you would have been shown the letter that you sent that. And I think people paid attention to like, Oh, yeah, this is the time to be a part of the community, not charge $500 for a room or charge $100 for a water bottle. And I think that to me was memorable for me because I think there was a lot of eyes, but also solidified, like, that's who I am. And I think right. people just had to realize it. Um, airline one, when the United Airlines dragged, uh, they were in that, you know, they dragged the Asian person across, or oh, the police, sorry. Oh, yes. So this, I was on that the breaking news. Doctor, the Texas yeah. doctor, yeah. And everybody's angle of the story was about, you know, the, you know, the, the, the race relations and, and the, the, the handling of that. Obviously, on my segment, it was they, they flipped it and said, how is this going to stop? And mm-hmm. I said, the consumers are going to stop this. I, I understand that they took a big hit in the Wall Street, but this overbooking policy in the future is going to change. And I remember getting pushback from the anchors like, why is that? They've been able to do whatever they want to do, the big four. Why, does it, why is it going to change now? And I said, it's, it's the, it's this next generation is going to be able to do it. And seven days later, Southwest was the first one to change their overbooking policy to wow. have none. And so well to done. me, like w- when I'm able to do kind of things like that, it's yeah. really, really fun. CNN really got really fun with me on the trade wars. Cause you know, you can only, you know, they were doing like, um, there was a music that they, they were doing, Ryan, how do you feel? And they put like three movie clips up live <laughs> on TV like one from the airplane sniffing glue, another one from the Godfather. And they said, right. I mean, I was completely shocked because I didn't know they were doing that. And you can see my face, like what is going on? And it was, and, and I obviously the segment and the producers trusted that I would be able to do something well with it. And it did. And it, so yes. they did a few more, like they did a music roundup at one more time. They, they would throw a, um, like a random picture just to kind of get my uh, attention, you know, tension in there and i think it's showing when the segments can show the human side of all of us i think it's it, it always turns out with a, a good ending so well said that's really great ryan you've been receiving a lot of accolades um including inc magazine recognized you as one of nine executives and innovators that serve as an inspiration and model for how all businesses can give and make a difference um when did you get that that was a few years ago. Um, I think it was in 2017 uh, when I when I got that, and it was interesting because when things like that put on, I, I really don't know what to say. Why that accolade is is something that's important is because someone you know they took the time to really understand. Well, this person is leading to an actual impact. Um, you're now on the board of the Drucker School of Management, and uh, wanted to ask you. Um, because I've been a fan of Peter Drucker for a number of years and um, I I was always drawn to his aphorisms. He just had some 
phenomenal insight. And so I wanted to ask you personally, like what have been some of your favorite sayings of his? You know, for his quotes is interesting is how you feeling during the time, right? Because mm. his, his, he's got so many, yeah. um, you know, I think one of them for me that well, on the comment you know, on the TV side, you know, the most important thing in, commu- in communication is to hear what isn't being said. Like to me, yeah. I feel like that is a part of who I am. Nice. That's the part of something that has always been naturally. And now I have at least for the time being the platform to do that. Um, and then, you know, my path is kind of funny. He said something around like the best way to predict the future is, is to create it. I know that sounds simple, but mm-hmm. when I hear that quote, the predicting of the future sometimes isn't about like what you think is going to be, you know, important, like, well, what's the trend and versus, well, why are you so different? And like, why can't you create your own path? Like, what is your future plan going to look like versus someone else's? Yeah, no, it's it's refreshingly original and seemingly counterintuitive. But for anyone who's held those roles or done those things, it's very obvious. Yeah. That was his genius. Yeah. Now being a part of the Drucker community, like there's been a lot of alumni there that who had taken classes from him. Uh, and now they're following me in the Drucker School, and they're like, "Oh, Ryan, that's what you know. That's what Peter would have said." To me, I'm just honored to be a part of that. He also um, kind of one of the initial tenets that uh, catapulted him into um, uh, fame or being well known was his concept of the knowledge worker. And uh, I have to say, um, based on all that you've shared, you really embody that. Ryan, I think it's really poetic (laughs) that you're on the board of his school. (laughs) Great. Um, Ryan, I have to say this was an extraordinary conversation. I've really appreciated you. I'm I'm so thankful about that Kiwi Tech uh, demo day that we uh, were joint judges on uh, with a few others, of course, but uh, that brought us together. Well, listen, it's it's great. You've gotten so many different uh, unique guests on. And I think when you provide all different time and perspectives, we all get better as as I said, as society and, and, um, you know, I appreciate your, your followers and, uh, and anything that you, you all want to do. That's great. Thank you so much again, Ryan. <laughs> all right. Thanks. All right, well. Appreciate it. Take care. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.